podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to this episode of the DNF1 podcast. In this episode, we cover the latest news and the hot topics surrounding Formula One. We update on the situation regarding coronavirus and how it's affecting the races, and we also give our thoughts on the 2020 season and predictions for the upcoming Australian Grand Prix. So, hello there, and welcome to the next episode of the DNF1 podcast. So, we're four in a row now. And uh, we're still going strong, still happy to produce more great content for you, lovely lot. First of all, I just want to say thank you for the amazing support that you've shown us so far. We've had so much positive feedback and so many of you have already downloaded our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and other podcasting platforms. Um, all we, me and my co-host, uh, I should say, uh, Courtney Pine would like to say is just thank you so much for your support. Keep supporting us by... Yeah, thank you and stick with us. Yeah, keep following us on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, Keep supporting us by watching us on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel and please follow us on whichever podcasting platform that you listen to. I'm sure we are on there. So moving right along, joining me once again is your fan favourite, Mr. Courtney Pine. So Courtney, once again, thank you for joining me on this episode. First of all, good evening ladies and gents. Hope you're having a, a good time. It's been quite an interesting few weeks for us, hasn't it? Yeah, I'll tell you what, these episodes that we're doing, we try to cover as much as we can, and I almost feel like we one episode a week with so much going on in the world of Formula 1, it's almost as if yeah. like maybe we need to consider doing more, there's so much. But we'll get right to it in this episode, as you probably would have heard by now. It looks like there's plenty of going on in the world of Formula 1, so Courtney... This is a new segment we'd like to introduce, and Courtney's going to run it for us. So uh, it's the news section. Bulletins. The news bulletins. So... We're going to start off where we left off in the last episode and we're going to talk about everyone's favourite thing, which is the coronavirus. Yay! Yay. Got that. <laughs> so, as a result of this uh, lovely virus, the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix has now become a participant-only event. So, no one will be allowed in the crowd. It'll just be the drivers, the engineers and the media will be there. The coronavirus strikes again, Adam. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week, and it's a serious issue. Um, I don't think anyone thought that this would be something that would go away after what happened with China, when about a month ago or so, they announced that the Chinese Grand Prix would be postponed. We did wonder if other Grand Prix would have to go down that route, consider either postponement until the situation is under more control, or perhaps having races behind closed doors that we're seeing in other events yep. like uh, football for example in particularly in Italy where is the biggest outbreak in Europe so far in Italy last night Juventus and Inter Milan we saw Ronaldo played, 
shaking hands with invisible fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty much what Man City players do on a weekly basis. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, we're not going to banter them too much as much as we like to. Uh, as an Arsenal fan, they're probably going to destroy us on Wednesday night. So I'm not looking forward to Positive that too thinking. much. Yeah, well we'll see other sports have had this issue and obviously the Bahrain Grand Prix I think the right decision has been made on this I feel that if you can't guarantee the safety of the public and obviously mass gatherings increase the chances of spreading a virus which at the moment has not really been controlled as well as perhaps it could be but yeah. at least it's something that needs to improve and, and I think a race like Bahrain in general it's not one of those where crowds are usually packed to the rafters. No, it's if it was Spa or Brazil, then it would be more of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And it's had a history of races where there's been protests from the public. It's in a very remote area of Bahrain in Sakir, where uh, some of the drivers have even said that they go to their motorhomes or they go to where they're being accommodated and then they'll go to the track, do their yeah. events, do some sponsor events and then come back. I feel like the best thing about the Bahrain Grand Prix is a track layout anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot. I mean, I'm, do you remember that year where they, they had the increase, the, uh, the larger track layout and the lap was like over two minutes long? Oh, no. It had that twisty sector and, it, and everybody hated it. I prefer it now at night as well. Yeah, it's much better uh, as a night race. Um, yeah, I think the right decision has been made on this one. I, I, I was looking at online to see what the statements was and... I wouldn't say it was a sensitive issue, but I'm a bit concerned if other Grand Prix are going to follow suit on this one. So I was just looking online and I found a quote that was taken from the Bahrain International Circuit organisers. Right. Uh, and they mentioned uh, as follows. In consultation with our international partners and the Kingdom's National Health Task Force, Bahrain has made the decision to hold this year's Bahrain Grand Prix as a participants-only event. As an F1 host nation... Balancing the welfare of supporters and racegoers is a tremendous responsibility. Given the continued spread of COVID-19 globally, convening a major sporting event which is open to the public and allows thousands of international travellers and local fans to interact in close proximity would not be the right thing to do at the present time. But to ensure that neither the sport nor its global supporter base is unduly impacted, the race weekend itself will still go ahead as a televised event. Now, make of that what you will... But that's pretty cut and dry. and It's the right choice. Yeah, it's the right choice. I mean, if you can't guarantee the safety of the public and the fans that are going out there, and as disappointing as it will be for some of them that like to travel there, because it's one of those circuits that a lot of British fans in particular like to yeah. travel to, Lewis's best fans, that's going to be an interesting podium. You're proper speech. on this Lewis best fans thing, aren't you? It's <laughs> funny and... I, I, do you know what I said on Twitter the other day? Look, I said look, that awkward look. moment. Have you seen that meme? That awkward moment where uh, Lewis will have win the race in Bahrain, get on his podium speech. So I'd like to thank my best fans and everyone for coming out. And it's literally that guy on the balcony playing I DJ, and he's got the I three of them it. dancing underneath. Right? Can I just <laughs> can I can I just say okay? If you win as many races as Lewis Hamilton does, you start running out of things to say, wouldn't you? Well, it'd be nice <laughs> running out of things to say. You run out of things to say after about thirty wins. He's up to what is it, eighty-four now or eighty-three? I think. I think Marby. Thanks for coming, long lads. Yeah, thanks for coming out. I hope you had a good time. Peace out. I'm going to get a beer. Irons. 
Lewis is an Arsenal fan. Well, saying that, he was wearing a Barcelona top the the other week for El Clasico. Yeah, and, uh, but that that was more of a marketing thing, wasn't it? Well, not so good for Barca because they lost that game. And Carlos yeah. Sainz, who's a Real Madrid fan, <laughs> said, "Lewis, we need to talk." And he didn't reply. No, he didn't. <laughs> Lewis was uh, not keen. I don't think he really bothered to be honest. No, I mean, it was all it was, it was all marketing, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's, no, it's all good and fun. But yeah, I mean, there have been other races that I feel that may be impacted most notably the Italian Grand Prix could be at risk later on in the season well let's let's hope the situation starts to improve before then you know that it's still quite a few months away mm, absolutely more near the time obviously the Australian Grand Prix there's been a lot of press over whether or not that's going to suffer still. a similar still but um, oh, don't, don't. at the moment it's a lot more positive on that front yeah so in regards to the situation in Australia they asked Andrew Westercott who is the head of the organising party for the Australian Grand Prix. And they asked him if participants would be allowed into the event or ticket holders that couldn't go would be refunded. He basically said, not a chance. He was quite defiant. Um, He mentioned that, interestingly, this weekend was the T20 Cricket World Cup final for the women's between Australia and India. And it was hosted at the MCG, which is the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Now, that stadium's very, very large. Puts a lot of football stadiums to shame. Um, There was 86,000 supporters there. You know, so it was a big occasion, a lot of support. Uh, Australia obviously came out on top in that match. So they were capable. They didn't have any concerns over hosting the event. And that was only a few days ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just over the weekend. So he mentioned that the only interesting thing at the moment is the Italian freight, i.e., Teams like Ferrari, personnel at Alfa Turi, Alfa Romeo wow. as well, even Haas to some degree. The situation that's gone on in Italy, most notably the the travel ban from yeah, the Italian they've, they've government. They've quarantine measures, haven't they? Yeah, in a lot of areas in northern Italy, there's been a travel ban where people are not able to leave the country whilst in certain areas whilst this virus is being contained. It's affected up to 16 million people potentially in Italy, and which is quite a lot. But there are protocols in action to allow personnel from Ferrari, providing that they're not ill or coming down with this virus, to be able to travel. So, in terms of a sporting, in continuing sporting events, mm. it shouldn't take priority over these kind of matters. But I can understand the pressures that people are going to be under to make sure that these events go ahead as much as they can and Melbourne is one of the most liveliest cities in the world there's always something going on in Melbourne see that is that is one race that couldn't happen without the crowd there because the crowd does make a difference absolutely not no absolutely not uh, and Andrew Weston was similar opinion to this and so was the chief medical officer in Australia the Australian government Brendan Murphy he said that there was no risk involved in allowing the Grand Prix to go ahead he didn't believe there was he said obviously people have been talking about the Ferrari team from Italy, but they've been very carefully screened on the way in, so it seems like they've taken the extreme measures to make sure, which is good for the sport, of course. I mean, I'm, I want these events to go ahead. I don't want everything to come to a standstill to this, but I understand that priority and precedence has to take place in terms of uh, protecting and securing the safety of every one of us, really, I over feel, a sporting I feel, I feel, yeah, I feel that this needs to, look, I'm, I'm no politician, but there does need to be a balance between being sensible with this and then not letting this completely destroy our, our everyday lives. No, absolutely not. And that's the important thing. We go on as best as we can. And if sport has to take a back seat, 
in so order to then so be it yeah. you know sport will carry on it's not the end it's a shame because we've been waiting so long the winter breaks almost feel like an eternity in their own right um, and given how the season is extending and winter testing is becoming more publicised and more and followed it's amazing the coverage that you get for testing compared to three or four years ago even as early as that social media has helped a lot with that though hasn't it it has done yeah and and everyone the season just feels a lot more closer to us than it ever has done before the breaks don't feel as long although you tell that to a hardcore F1 fan they'll be sitting there in a cold sweat thinking is it race week is it race week well guess what guys it's race week. I've been vigorously updating the Instagram page with that. So yeah, absolutely. And then, and ladies and gentlemen, I've got to ask. Um, you know, please do support us on our Instagram and Twitter pages. Although Courtney's doing a fantastic job so far on the Instagram. Oh, I've been, stop I've it, been you. giving him shit on this <laughs> ever since we started this, and he's come up trumps now. So you know, he, he does work hard on this. He does put a lot of good content. So please do follow us. Um, I must have been quite impressed with the. Um, with the results I've been getting on the quizzes. Yeah, how many, do you know who's been partaking in the quizzes? Some, well, main, mainly, obviously, friends of mine. But I've got to say, like, there have been people that don't know much about F1 and they've been doing quite well. So, well done to most of you that have been participating in the quizzes. Well, I, I don't mean to brag, but I've got 100%. Yeah, of course you, of course you have. That goes without saying. <laughs> I was like, the first one is like, Moot. I'm like, oh. and, uh, and in Adam's defence, he has no idea about any content I put up. So he he does get the questions right through, you know, merit. Yeah, I, I don't control that. This is a partnership. I, I know I'm aware of a lot of this. I do talk quite a lot on these podcasts, but it's a 50 50 <laughs> split on this. Courtney has his area of expertise and I have mine and mine is I love the sound of my own voice and Courtney just I like the I like the chip in and do things online. Exactly, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there we go. See what a team, eh? What there a team. Go. So um yeah, so I think the coronavirus situation it, it's a developing situation. I think we need to reaffirm this public health message because we've seen a lot of videos and a lot of pictures and a lot especially in Australia, I think we should come to this of people fighting and Arguing with each other, trying to buy, of all things, toilet paper. I'm not. Don't, I'm don't, not don't, quite don't sure. trigger me. Don't trigger me. I, I don't. I don't know if you've been on Facebook, but you go on Facebook. There's toilet fucking paper everywhere, mate. <laughs> everywhere. Not that out swearing. But there, is, <laughs> there is. There is toilet paper everywhere, and and it's, it's got to the point where there was hysteria about, you know, people stocking up during the coronavirus, but now you've got. But why toilet paper? I, I think it's the whole thing of like you know obviously you, you're gonna have to like do your ones and twos aren't you? Yeah, but I mean of, of all the things, yeah, like stock up on that. Like, stock up on food, if that's stocking up on food yeah, as well, then like fair water enough. and food, so you wouldn't have to go out as much. But I didn't realise the priority for a lot of people, particularly in Australia, was to wipe their. But ass. It's, happen- it's happening in the UK now, like as well. But the thing is, it's, it's got to the point where you've got you've got people overreacting to a situation. And then you've got people overreacting to the overreaction. Yeah, no, so it is. So every, yeah. everywhere you look, you've either got, you know, hysteria about this virus or people commentating on it or spreading fake news about it. And yeah, I, no, I'm just, I just feel, yeah. obviously, it's proven, particularly to the elderly and people with underlying health issues, it's dangerous. But I just think the whole hysteria about this and, and, and you know, it wasn't, it was only a couple of minutes ago where I was praising what social media has done. Yeah when it comes to coverage for sport and stuff. But I feel that in everyday life, there are people who love to spread panic and gossip, and I feel that social media encourages this quite a lot. 
And that's where we come in. There we go. We're putting things into perspective the with sensible voice, statements. The voice of reason. You know what really grinds my gits? No, we won't <laughs> <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> we that's, do that anyway. Yeah, I know. That's literally that, that. We'll do a podcast for that at some time in the future if this one sort of takes off. Well, we're so, getting old, Adam, so we'll start doing that. that, that that'll be a future um, I feel project. like I'm the second youngest grumpy old man I know, and you're the youngest. Oh, we haven't yeah, met yeah. a couple more mates. <laughs> right there, Cameron. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm, do you know what? I'm surprised that guy is still your mate, to be honest. After what? No, I'll tell you what, he gives he gives as much as he takes, and not in that way, you dirty buggers. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> so are we going to go on to the next bulletin? Yeah, I think we should reaffirm the health message, though, on okay, then. that we did. So, first of all, guys, you know, half this is going to be common sense, but do bear with us. If you're going to listen to anyone, please do listen to us um, above all the fake news. First of all, Wash your hands as often as you can. Sing um, happy birthday twice. Yeah. Or think of another song for about 20, 30 seconds while you're washing your hands. Be thorough. Yeah. You know, make sure you go up the halfway up your arms and all that stuff just to make sure that your hands are clean. Can, if, I, can, I, can I chip in? Yeah, go for it. The most important thing I'd say to you is if you're going to buy a hand sanitizer, just buy one. Yes. Don't, don't go buy an Because I tell you, I went, I went over to um, a specific supermarket in my local area. Yeah. Looks over there every single day for one bottle. Uh, it was just empty every single time. So yeah, calm down, people. I mean, calm if down. you have to take the travel ones, like one or two is, exactly. is enough for exactly. one trip. You don't need to be going in there ransacking it. Because the ironic thing is, if you're going to buy in bulk and stuff like hand sanitizer, you're preventing other people from being able to protect themselves. People who could possibly what, need it more. Yeah, and also, in the future, what you're doing is increasing the chance for other people to get it and contract coronavirus which means that it's more likely in the future that it's going to be spread on to you so come on guys let's all use our common sense here only take what you really need and be considerate to other people because at the end of the day the only way we're going to get through this without any serious issues is if we all do our bit together okay? I feel I feel we just need to be protecting the more vulnerable I'll tell you what this is a great podcast for promoting good causes I think this is what we do <laughs> we excel more at this than promoting the positive message to the public rather than talking about Formula 1 which is what people sign up for who knows maybe, maybe that's something we're going to go into in the future the voice of reason at times the more you know okay. do you want me to go on to the next one yeah I think we should so we're going to go from um Coronavirus to a another topic that a lot of people love, and that is politics. Ooh. Okay, politics in F one. Who would have thought it? My favorite. Okay, so not long after the um, latest episode, every non Ferrari based team put out a statement, basically complaining about the um, the FIA statement that we mentioned last week. So they're not happy that the information that is staying between um, the FIA and Ferrari. So that was news that came out. Was it Wednesday? Wasn't wasn't long after we. Um... Yeah, they were very quick to respond on this. Um, That's right. And I think for those of you that are probably wondering what's developed since then. So if you remember last week, I mentioned in our podcast that the FIA had put out a statement, basically saying that they conducted the investigation, and between the two parties, they'd agreed a settlement. So the FIA and Ferrari agreed a settlement which was not going to be disclosed under Article 4. It is a bit iffy. Yeah, under it is, Ar- it is a bit iffy. Yeah. But it was under, um, I was trying to think, Article 4, I've got the thing right here because I wrote about Article 4 of the JDR, so the Judiciary Disciplinary Review. Mm-hmm. And they reserved the right to uh, have this confidentiality over this settlement, not to disclose the details of it. 
what that meant we didn't know at the time because it was very very vague and that they found that the investigation was rather inconclusive ferrari were adamant that they'd done no nothing wrong they'd follow the rules accordingly um, and the fia was suspicious that that wasn't the case there was a rumor going around or a suspicion that ferrari on the fuel flow meter that the fia were running a test on one of their sensors they were able to gauge it right when the car was stationary so that when the FIA conducted its investigation, they were able to manipulate the gauge in a way where it would pr- produce the results that fit within the criteria the FIA required to deem it legal. But then obviously during the, the race, the Ferrari was able to use the lubricants and manipulate them to such a way where they'd use it to boost their engine performance. That but the performance, FIA couldn't that check performance it. gain over the summer was bound to you know, catch the attention of other people. Absolutely. And for those of you wondering, Courtney's got the pad this week. I do, Adam's I pad do. has been retired <laughs> for the week. He's on vacation because I abused it maliciously and it needed a break. So I thought, you know what? Fill your boots, son. We've got a race next week to cover and talk about. Well, I'll let you have, you have your fun and then I've come back. I've got five whole lines on this pad, though. That's the difference. Yeah, I, I filled about five pads with my <laughs> yeah. test analysis, which you'll be happy to know, guys. I'm not going to be talking about that this week. So, you know, no, it's, 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 become, it's become an institution, Adam. Don't put yourself down. Oh, well, I'm giving it a week off. When the season's underway, we're go. going to be back on. There we go. Giving it a break. So, to move on to where we are now. So, since then, um, the seven teams. So, that was Mercedes, Red Bull, Alfa Tori, Williams, McLaren, Renault, and Racing, Racing Point. Point. Yeah. Got it first time. <laughs> they all put out a, a joint statement on each of their uh, social media pages as a press release. I've got the Mercedes one here. They're all written exactly the same. They're all signed by the team. So it doesn't really matter that I'm reading Mercedes one. I'll, I just put, like, the, I, I'll, I'll put the Mercedes one up for a bias. I, I just like the letterhead on the Mercedes paper a bit more than the others. Well, they're the best at everything, mate. Eh, well, we'll agree <laughs> to disagree, but they're very efficient. G- Germans are usually efficient, even though they're British-based. Anyway, so the Mercedes, or the joint statement, I should say, says, We, the undersigned teams, were surprised and shocked by the FIA's statement on Friday, 28th of February, regarding the conclusion of this investigation into the Scuderia Ferrari Formula One power unit. An international sporting regulator has the responsibility to act with the highest standards of governance, integrity, and transparency. After months of investigations that were undertaken by the FIA, only following queries raised by other teams, we strongly object to the FIA reaching a confidential settlement agreement with Ferrari to conclude this matter. Therefore, we hereby state publicly our shared commitment to pursue full and proper disclosure in this matter, to ensure that our sport treats all competitors fairly and equally. We do so on behalf of the fans, the participants and the stakeholders of Formula One. In addition, we reserve our rights to seek legal redress within the FIA due process before the competent courts. So, it's a very uh, adamant and defiant statement yeah. from all the teams. Long story short, they weren't happy. I did say in last week's podcast... It I was, was coming. I knew this was going to come. Look back, there is proof. There is proof. <laughs> yes, you'll have to listen to last week's episode to prove me wrong if you're that way inclined, but I guarantee I did say it. Um, so that's so yeah, go me. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised by that. The teams were always going to respond. I wasn't happy as a fan. I'm a Ferrari fan. I wasn't even happy with that because it also implied that for FIA statement implied that Ferrari had done something that wasn't in the best interest of the rules yeah. or found a loophole that was 
you know, manipulating the engine performance to a degree that wasn't really fitting. And at the same time, the FIA never really came out and defended Ferrari on this because, and this is where it gets difficult with grey areas like this, if it was black and white, cut and dry, and Ferrari had done something wrong and it was beyond any reasonable doubt that was the case, the FIA would come out and say it. What mm. I didn't understand is because it was inconclusive and despite their suspicions, they couldn't categorically prove that Ferrari had done something wrong. Why didn't they just say that as it was or say, we didn't find anything wrong with the car despite our early suspicions, therefore draw a line in the sand and just say that that's it. Ferrari that's that's why they can't be surprised by the backlash. No, innocent until proven guilty. And this isn't me having a rant saying, oh, I'm a Ferrari fan, like, you know, this is like a wild goose chase. I do feel something isn't quite right with all this, and perhaps it's, for all we know, that the the confidential settlement between the two uh, parties in Ferrari and the FIA may come, you know, it may contain a few stipulations where... Do you think there's a link between this and some of the unknown, unknowns that we have regarding Ferrari's performance this year? Possibly. I mean, first of all, I would say... It does seem like something isn't quite right with what Ferrari are doing with their engine, whether or not it's a grey area or it's a loophole, or they've managed to cleverly find a way to operate within the rules, but also at the same time expose a flaw in the regulations set up by the FIA. Um, The second thing I did find when I read that statement was, if it's so cloudy and so inconclusive and they want the support of the other team's in this matter to find closure and move on with it why not disclose the investigation and the reports into all the findings that they had had made um, with this Ferrari pack because I'm sure it was a long and sought out investigation why not just publish that to the other teams to say look this is what we did these were the investigations we carried out and these were our results despite our suspicions we could not come to a conclusion that Ferrari were operating outside of the regulations or exploited a loophole that wasn't within you know the nature of the sport could you imagine though if ferrari had won last year's championship well this is it and i suppose in a way this is why it kind of makes it easier and it's not like a really massive sort out issue yet this for we know this could be something that the fia have want to orchestrate maybe this is the tactic they wanted to go down to get the other teams to respond so that you know, for what comes next. Yeah. Now, yeah. moving on to what comes next, the FIA did respond, and this is what they had to say. The FIA has conducted detailed technical analysis on the Scuderia Ferrari power unit, as it is entitled to do for any competitor in the FIA Formula 1 World Championship. The extensive and thorough investigations undertaken during the 2019 season raised suspicions that the Scuderia Ferrari power unit could be considered as not operating within the limits of the FIA regulations at all times. The Scuderia Ferrari firmly opposed the suspicions and reiterated that its power unit always operated in compliance with the regulations. The FIA was not fully satisfied, but decided that further action would not necessarily result in conclusive case due to the complexity of the matter and the material impossibility to provide the unequivocal evidence of a breach. To avoid the negative consequences that a long litigation would entail, especially in light of the uncertainty of the outcome of such litigations and in the best interests of the championship and of its stakeholders, the FIA, in compliance with Article 4 of its Judicial and Disciplinary Rules, otherwise known as JDR, decided to enter into an effective 
and dissuasive settlement agreement with Ferrari to terminate the proceedings. This type of agreement is a legal tool recognised as an essential component of any disciplinary system and is used by many public authorities and other sports federations in the handling of disputes. The confidentiality of the terms of the settlement agreement is provided by Article 4 of the JDR. The FIA will take all necessary action to protect the sport and its role and reputation as regulator of the FIA Formula 1 World Championship. I think you deserve a drink after reading out that statement. <laughs> I feel like I need one. <laughs> Got any Corona in the fridge. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the FIA have responded with that statement. When I first read this, I took to social media to voice some concerns about this. And I wasn't really overly convinced, if I'm perfectly honest. I did feel that this was something that... Again, it it fed my suspicions that the FIA had kind of planned this out and this is what they wanted so they could respond in such a way. They mentioned the JDR, um, Article 4 of that JDR, in terms of reaffirming that it has every right to uh, keep this settlement confidential and not to disclose that to the teams. It also mentioned that the investigation was inconclusive and that they weren't able to categorically prove that Ferrari had done wrong with their power unit or manipulated uh, the rules or gauged the sensor. I mean, of course, the fallout from this is now there's a second sensor on the power units that the teams do not have access to, but the FIA do. So what that will be for and what information that's going to produce for the FIA, we don't know. For all we know, this could be part of the settlement with Ferrari. There could be an arrangement in place that perhaps Ferrari were found to have done wrong, but in exchange of their cooperation to basically tell the FIA how they did this and how they manipulated the system, they've been able to develop a sensor that they can use on all the other power units, including Ferraris, to make sure that no wrongdoing is being done by the other teams. And we could see a situation where perhaps a Honda or a Mercedes or a Renault engine is doing something similar to yeah. Ferrari, but just to not an ex- not such an extent that the FAA will be able to find that out without the teams knowing, which, if that is the case, could have very, very chilling consequences and could become, uh, I would say, almost a bit pot kettle, really, that Ferrari could have... Could, have contributed to helping the FIA uncover more teams and more engine manufacturers that are not operating within the rules. Of course, would be massive news, particularly with you know twenty twenty one. Yes, there's going to be yes. a lot of resources going into not only this season but next season. And if this news, as you say, develops into something bigger, it's going to have massive implications for the sport, really. Yeah, and I don't think this is the end of this. And no, far from for me. It. As a f- again, as a fan, and, and this is me not wearing my Ferrari cap, this is me as a Formula 1 fan in general, but if the FIA cannot prove that Ferrari have done wrongdoing, even though the suspicion is there, why have they not either gone out and just said, even though we feel Ferrari have done wrong, we cannot prove it, therefore the investigation is closed, that's it. Whether the teams accept that or not is one thing. But secondly, in addition to that, why not publish your investigation findings or your report on what you did find, if anything, so the teams could look through this and say, okay, they did this, they did that, it didn't come back with anything, let's move on. Because the thing in the past, there have been plenty of innovations made by teams on their cars, engine or not engine related, that have been investigated and the FIA have not been able to prove no. that they've been wrongdoing. I mean, for example, quite an obvious one that comes to mind is the movable aero parts about five or so years ago that the Red Bull team used to use 
um, back during the era of dominance where there was rumours saying the front wings used to move on different loads. I was always when, watching those. I was always... Yeah, <laughs> and it looked for all the world that they, they did move under certain loads when they're not yeah. supposed to. They used to wobble. Um, and they did all the tests. They did all the usual stuff. Even the old-fashioned one they used to do to test loads on aero parts when they'd stick like... 20 kilo sandbags and no we're not talking about the ones Mercedes drop off after testing just actual sandbags to see if the wings would bend on either side when you add load on them and obviously that was there to improve aero performance and airflow under the car moving at high speed for the corners but the FIA weren't able to categorically prove that and so the matter just got left alone Um, you know and stuff with diffusers back in the you know the 2009-2010 days with Braun and Red Bull as well Stuff like that where it seemed like they were breaking rules, but the FIA couldn't prove it. And they come out and said, look, that's it, matters closed, done, and moved on. With this one, it seems that there's a long way to go in this. Now, I don't know if this is the FIA's plan. After all, they aren't stupid people. Very intelligent people. So maybe this is a tactic or a ploy to see where we go with this. And obviously, it's best to just keep our eyes on the news because this is a developing situation that's going to change. It, it's proven. And it will... Yeah. If, if Ferrari... If Ferrari come out with a far superior engine again then the people are going to be and well, all this the is it. I mean, are going to be kicking off they win the first race and they've completely sandbagged all of testing <laughs> gone out and smashed the field I don't think I'll be complaining <laughs> I'll be no happen I'll, I'll be sending you salty whatsapp, WhatsApp messages <laughs> <laughs> told you it was illegal that's what it would be I think the one word that I took from that entire statement from the FIA to suggest that perhaps Ferrari were not operating in the best interest of the rules and perhaps manipulating them in some way is the word dissuasive. Now, for those of you that don't know, the word dissuasive in a nutshell, um, it's an adjective to basically say um, someone is tending to dissuade or divert from a measure or a purpose. Basically, in other words, to kind of sway someone away from an investigation or to kind of confuse them or to basically... Look over there. Yeah, if you like. Yeah, in, in a, yeah. That's the best way of putting it. So, because of that, that suggests to me straight away that the FA do feel, or they might have found something that Ferrari was doing that was not operating within the rules, or it's wrong. So, the more we see, more we know of that as as it develops, you know, it's going to get very interesting. This could arguably be more interesting and more tasty as a topic than the actual season itself. We've even turned the wheel I know. Have you ever known a season where there's so much drama before the season has even started? I think given how broadcasted and publicised testing is and everything that goes with it, it's just brought up so much more controversy and so much more politics, stuff that we wouldn't see until the start of the season. I I mean, do you remember back in the 1998 season, McLaren started the season so strong... And they were dominant. In Australia, they won the race by practically a minute. And this was with the team orders where... And the arrangement between Hakkinen and Coulthard where whoever come out the corner first would win the race. Hakkinen did. And then obviously there was that issue with the pit stop where he ended up behind Coulthard and Coulthard let him through. But with the car itself, because testing and stuff like that wasn't really followed or scrutinised as much as it no, was, it? no one discovered the what they called the brake steer system that they had. And basically what this was, for those of you that don't know, was a second brake pedal that was installed in the McLaren. And and the, what the driver was able to do was to just act on the one of the rear wheels. And this allowed them to eliminate understeer and reduce wheel spin when they were exiting slow corners. 
and this wasn't really operating within the rules and Ferrari uh, protested this amongst other teams and it got outlawed because back in those days those cars were very understeery and also the rear ends weren't very stable like they are now. So when you came out of slow corners, you had to be more patient on the throttle, but the McLarens were able to just get away very, very quickly and pull away, and you just can catch them. So sometimes you do have innovations that don't operate within the rules, but because of how publicised and how much information we can sort of get now compared to how we used to years ago, it's very, very difficult for a team to sort of cover up innovations or bits of genius, like even the dual axis steering. We saw that in testing, and it was there just one bit. Someone Lewis Hamilton's pulling his wheel back towards him, and the and wheels have gone in on these, themselves. Yeah. And straight away, it's it's everywhere. Papers are reporting it. It's amazing. You can't get away. And we're only in the second day of testing when that happened, so you can't really get away with it. I mean, it's crazy. So, I think that's a good way to wrap up the first part. Do go for a drink. Grab yourself a coffee or something. Grab something to eat, and then join us for the second part of the DNF One podcast. So welcome back to the second part of the DNF1 podcast. So we were just talking about the controversy regarding the investigation with FIA and Ferrari and obviously where we currently are with that. And that's only going to develop as times go on. I mean, we might hear an update before the season starts this, this week. It's race week, of course. It's and race we'll week. Be doing, I can't, I've been waiting so long to say that. And uh, we'll be doing our preview very, very soon. But we just want to touch on just a few little other news bits. So, so a bit of positive news, Adam. Yes. A bit of positive news. Positive and this news. is, and this is, and this is a bit of news I'm quite happy with. And the news is, ba 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 ba. You can't see it, but I'm literally <laughs> dancing away. He's, he's, you know. he's dancing away. Honestly, he is. You, you really, you really do dance like a white person. Oh. But the news is, <laughs> the news is. The FIA have lifted a ban on driver helmet design changes. Yes. Thank the Lord. The, I think the most brain dead rule going, considering that, you know, helmet designs, all right, the halo since it was introduced has kind of made it difficult to see that. And of course we are, I'm used to seeing the halo now. I've got no problems with it. I think personally, they talked about the the, uh, aero screens that they've introduced into IndyCar racing. I don't know if you've seen them. They look awful. Yeah, I no, they stick with I mean, now. Forgive me if this is an unpopular opinion, guys, but this aero screen business, and they also trialled it um, when they were testing the halo to see what the best solution was. I think might well, do a little poll. Yeah, halo think, or, he- or, um, or aero You'll have screen. to get the pictures. You'll get the one from. You can get the IndyCar one, or you can get the one Sebastian Vettel yeah. tested in Silverstone a couple of years ago. But I'm not gonna lie, I don't like it. I prefer the halo now. I'm used to it. To the I, point I, where I, I tried not to sing Beyonce then, I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not singing it. I mean, uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not singing it. Oh, there was a temptation. There was a temptation. Very temptation. Maybe if, if we set up a Patreon account and people subscribe to that, I might do singing. <laughs> we'll just become jesters. Yeah. yeah. We've gone from podcasters to jesters. Jesters for food. Um, <laughs> or toilet roll, because there's none left. <laughs> it will run out. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, the helmet designs have changed now. So some of you that have been following F1, like we do, probably realise that a lot of drivers actually had a few more than just the one mandatory change yeah. that was allowed. But there were little changes asking, though, weren't they? they were well, yeah, enough, so the actual design, it was a reference to the design scheme. So the idea yeah. was you were only allowed to have two different design schemes throughout the season. You were permitted one change. Now, you might get some drivers that had a completely different helmet in terms of how the colour scheme was 
it wouldn't really go against the rules. So, for example, there was quite a famous one with Danny Kvyat. Wasn't able to race with his Russian Grand Prix helmet because he'd already had one extra change in the season. What, what, what a dead rule. And you know what? And it's those kind of rules that makes F1 known as an old man's sport. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah, I didn't understand why. Because they said that it would have the fans would have a hard time recognising the drivers. I think, well, the number on the cars are give away. Yeah, I like and, that. That was a good addition. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you're seeing the car, it's a 50-50 chance that you're going to get the right guy. And the numbers will just tell you it is anyway. I don't know many fans, new or old to Formula 1, that couldn't tell the difference, to be honest. It seemed... It was a city rule. Because I've got to admit, like, the, 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 one yeah. thing, the one thing that made the, um, the Vettel era of Formula 1 interesting is that the leader of every single race had a different helmet each time he, had, he led so if you could kind of well, that was just that yeah. was said on his own I mean Sebastian Vettel even when this rule was in place always seemed to have a new helmet every there's other a different race. driver leading the race yeah, oh yeah, wait yeah. this is a different it's, helmet design it's just Seb yeah. <laughs> with his blown rear diffuser <laughs> bastard he's leading the way of course he's driving for the Scuderia now so yeah he's doing great isn't he yeah lovely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we can see him at the front with Charles, with Charles anyway uh, how do you that's a point how do we say Charles Leclerc because people have been telling me it's pronounced Charles Leclerc that's what I thought Charles but when you ask Charles Leclerc himself he actually says it's Charles like Charles you Charles know. but then maybe that's because he's like oh no everyone says it that way that'd be easier I'm just going to call him Charlie for this season Char- Charlie yeah I mean why I not think, I think why, why not, not? I think Charlie's a bit better. Like that, that'd, be, that'd be such an Englishman thing to do. Just seven, to Char- it. seven Charlie. Here you go, Seven Charlie. There we go. Oh, Seven Old Charlie for the screw. And, then, and, and to be honest, ask, asking the Cockney to pronounce something properly is quite hard work. Yeah, like, it's, I it, mean, it, we it. struggle with English as it is, some of us. <laughs> like, it's bad enough we've got to try and incorporate Monegasque names. I mean, Monegasque is a name and a half. People just go, he's <laughs> just French. No, he's Monegasque. There's a difference. They're a lot richer down there. That's Anywho. The Man, that's the life. Maybe one day get a flat in Monaco. We will, we will. When when this podcast becomes, um, you know, when we go mainstream and we make, you know, all the money we could possibly imagine. Oh yeah, swimming in it. There we go. All for clout, ladies and gentlemen. That's give, it. give it a couple of months. We'll be there. Don't worry. It's a couple of months. We're pessimistic. I was hoping we'll be there by <laughs> next week on the Riviera. Anyway, we'll move on to a t- so yeah. Great to see that the FI have lifted this rule. I was going to say a little cheeky pun, say they lifted the lid on it. Hey, hey. look at you becoming a bit of a pun master. I write them down, don't you? Know, this is what my pad does when it's on vacation. <laughs> it there's is, no technical this, analysis. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no like 0.387s on there. It's actually puns. I've actually been practicing this one all day. I was like, I can't wait to say this. Do you know what? I respect your honesty. <laughs> That's all I've got left. I've got no credibility. Do you have anything else to say on the matter, or do you want me to move on to our next bullet? Yeah, let's move on. I'm realising we're going off again. <laughs> yeah, we do like a tangent. I say it every week. We should call it off tangent podcast rather than DNF one. I feel like. So we're going to go on <laughs> to massive, massive driving news, Adam. Massive. Ooh, what's that? Set a camera has joined the Red Bull program. <gasps> again, I, I, I saw it. I, I saw it. I went on and what. Mind blown. That's completely changed the scene. So that's another former Red Bull junior that's rejoined them again. I mean, how yeah. many is that now? They've had, uh, what was it, Daniel Ricciardo, Alex Albon has re- rejoined them before when he came into Formula 1 through Toro Rosso. Or as Brendan Hartley. Signs. About four times Brendan Hartley's been re-signed by Red Bull. Carlos Signs as well. Sebastian Buemi. Buemi. Sebastian Suarez. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't rejoin them. I think oh, he left okay. and that was it. But no, th- and this is important because Sergio City Camera was part of the McLaren 
team as a development driver. Um, he's moved on, and now he's been signed up by Red Bull to the program to be a test and reserve driver for the Red Bull and Alpha Turi team. So I would say it perhaps if Pierre Gasly or Danny Kvyat isn't pulling their weight in Alpha Turi this season, that Sergio Sette Cameron might be looking at that. Now, Maybe. Sergio, from what I saw in F2, was a very good driver. He was driving in the Dams team for a while and also in Carlin with Lando Norris. He was Norris. Lando Norris' teammate, that's right. That's right, in F2. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good driver. He, had, he was very quick. He was very good at managing tyre wear, which is important in Formula 1. So there's a lot of good traits about Sergio, but perhaps not quite on the level needed to be consistently to sustain a Formula 1 Partic- Particularly like if you're going to potentially be Max Verstappen's teammate. Yeah, and that's always going to be a hard yeah. sell for any driver. I think, and I think that's actually the problem that Red Bull are having. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an. Um, we should mention this in a future podcast. The issues yeah. we have with the conveyor belt that is the Red Bull driver program and how they're churning out. They had so many good drivers all in one cluster, but they just didn't have enough seats. They had four seats, arguably. There but you go. Yeah. The problem with that is that you haven't got enough seats for your drivers. But those drivers are now limited to only getting four seats. Whereas someone perhaps like a Carlos Sainz or a Danny Ricardo, once they'd left, were able to sort of have their pick of any seat that they wanted, perhaps outside those four. So that's kind of where Formula One is at the moment with these junior teams. But Sergio, as I said, good driver. I think it's a good signing for them. I would be solid, solid. Yeah, there's a lot of work that you can do to help them develop, and that's going to be important this season. I think it's kind of understated how important a development driver can be. I remember Ferrari when they had uh, Brendan Hartley, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, Danny Kvyat, Pascal Verlein. Ocon done a good job for Mercedes last season. Yeah, yeah. They had all those drivers at Ferrari at the development and this coincided with their charge in 2018 where they were able to match Mercedes uh, part for part in terms of the development war up until Germany at least. And last season it didn't really work out for them because a lot of those drivers went on to other things. And I think with Red Bull, Sebastian Buemi a lot of his time is re- um, revolved around the World Endurance Championship for uh, Toyota and also Formula E with Nissan this season. So his time is going to be very much at a premium. Yeah. So they needed to get someone in like exactly. Sergio. Whether the, How this works out for him long term, I don't know. But I think this is a step in the right direction for him and I think it's a good signing for the team. So hopefully for both parties this works out well but we'll be following that closely. And just to mention, we will be talking about about the F2 season that's starting in Bahrain as well. A lot of good young drivers in this. There's a lot to be talking about in there, but that will be on a future episode. Okay, Adam. That was a very interesting segment, but I've been itching to discuss the Ooh, last bulletin all This episode. is the one I've been looking forward to. Go on, go Ladies on, don't keep on waiting. I think you should know. It's Pastor Maldonado's birthday. <gasps> the goat's birthday! The man, the living meme, Pastor Maldonado. If you haven't, if you don't know who he is, look him up and you'll be seeing memes through your ears. Oh my word. Pastor Maldonado, what a legend. Crash the Pastor Maldonado. Crash the Maldonado. There we go, what a tongue tire. Yeah, very famous for his crashes, but believe it or not, a Formula One race winner. He won the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix, which was also known after the race for the garage fire in the Williams garage clearly uh, no I'm not going to say it but some of <laughs> some people in particular partying a bit too hard perhaps and uh, causing a fire <laughs> they're probably not so shot 
he won a race. <laughs> oh, no. But he just, held off. just dropped their drinks. He held off Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari <laughs> in his backyard for much of that race, which is astonishing. If you ever get a chance, do watch the highlights. Yeah. Alon- Alonso, Alonso knew what the future was going to bring. He's like, no, I'm staying away from that yeah, guy. Yeah, probably, that's probably what it was. He's like, nah, I ain't getting involved in that. <laughs> it was a championship challenge Alonso had. Unsuccessful, of course, but I think he made the right decision to stay well behind Crash Door Maldonado. But we love Pastor, and uh, you will never be forgotten, Pastor. I mean, would you, if you had a seat in Formula One available, would you take him on? Oh, day. Oh yeah, I'd All love. Day. To, I'd love to see him back. I want. I want. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to waste millions well, of pounds worth of parts. Well, maybe when the cost cap gets introduced in 2021, they'll be able to put him in because it's more affordable. There you go. Either that, or he bankrupts the team within a week because <laughs> <laughs> the repair bill. Maybe it's up his own team. That's knows. it. The whole budget's gone, lad. Sorry, that's all on Pastel's. Uh, <laughs> Quick fit bills or wherever they get their cars fixed. So. Well, that's the um, the bulletin part over. So that Hope, is yeah. the news. Hope yeah. you enjoyed it. Please give us feedback. It's always appreciated. And because uh, we're always trying out new things, aren't we, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've only been around like five minutes, but yeah. I feel like it's good for us to have a structure or something that we work with. And obviously, if you guys enjoy that, do let us know on social media or do comment on the YouTube channel as well. Um, we always want your feedback please do keep it constructive though we've got no time for anyone that just wants to troll us or give us a hard time we just won't listen yeah I'll come to your house and uh, oh oh, Adam your your threatening tone it really is working is it working yeah like I'll be honest yeah yeah yeah. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to I'll be honest I'll be honest I was was tempted to get a broom at I'm going to wag my finger at you and (laughs) frown very very disapprovingly I'm going to show you a picture of my dog looking sad and I'll make you feel bad about yourselves (laughs) that's just encourage it but you know I, I, I respect I respect your intent yeah, yeah, the the thought was there. It was positive. So yeah, so for those of you that aren't familiar, it's race week. I don't know. Oh, is it? It's race week. That's a race week. I know. Don't get too excited. It's race week. Here we Formula are. One season is back, and the first Grand Prix, as always, Albert Park, Melbourne. So, Courtney, are you excited? Of course. <laughs> great. Of course. Great. Great. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something clever there, but yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've done it on purpose. Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> yes, he is. I last think time. so. I think so, last yeah. time I checked. How is he anyway? He's, uh, he's not feeling too well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think less said on that one, the better. Hopefully, all the best to him, though, however he is doing. Anyway, moving on. The, uh... What? We're talking so much shit. <laughs> Fill an hour somehow. Oh, we are talking. Let's, let's look. There's a Grand Prix happening on Sunday. Well, that's when it starts, and we are looking forward to it. Okay, joking aside, there are so many things. There are so many unknowns that we've discussed through through this episode. You've already got ongoing politics. You've got real life situations affecting this season, and it hasn't even started yet. And there are so many things we don't know. You've got. You know, this could potentially be Verstappen's season. Ferrari, there's so much controversy surrounding them already. And you've got the traditional, what will Mercedes, and particularly Lewis, deliver. And then you've always got a reinvented by Terry Bottas to think about. So oh, well, 3.0, oh God. Yeah, I'm, still not, I'm still not over the disappointment with 2.0. I mean, I love Valtteri, but... It was almost such a letdown when he started the season so strong and then it just went away. It's like, we've talked about how Lewis is a slow starter. 
But the guy didn't get out of second gear, and yet he'd won so many races. Mm. The season was practically over after Canada. But yeah, so Australian Grand Prix, first race of the season, new beginnings for a lot of teams. This is where we're going to find out, to some degree, the pecking order. Of course, Australia's not the best track to really show who's got what and who's still got work to do. We usually have to wait a couple of races. Usually by the time we get to Europe. Yeah, we usually have to find yeah. out around about Spain. We kind of know who's got With what. the upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, first race of the season, Courtney. What are your predictions for that one? Who should we be looking out for as a surprise? Who do we think is going to be on top and who's going to have work to do? So, it could be another Mercedes 1-2. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm either thinking a Mercedes 1-2 or a Verstappen win. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mercedes have been very, very strong yeah. at Alban Park the like, last couple of years, even though they haven't necessarily won that race quite often, as you might think. 2017 and 2018, if you remember rightly, Ferrari um, and Sebastian Vettel, against all odds, had a quick car, but not one to really win the race. But safety car instances and strategy allowed Seb to really get one up on them early in the season. And I think the Australian Grand Prix, as a curtain raiser, it, it seems right for Formula 1 to be the curtain raiser. It's a raiser. fast circuit, I do like it. It's a, it's a tough circuit, a tough yeah. circuit to overtake. Very well known for its streak-like uh, yeah. geometry. But it's also a circuit where... As the season open, you really want to lay down your marker for the season. I think a lot of people kind of look at that first race and say, right, whoever gets this right straight away is going to really set a precedent for how they go to the season. And I think that was disappointing last year, that Valtteri Bottas, very, very defiant, especially with his radio message, which we're not going to repeat. We all know what it was to James in particular, or who it may concern. I might have just spoiled that already if you hadn't figured that out. But after that, it kind of withered away. And I think one driver in particular that knew the real value and was able to demonstrate or really set uh, lay down a marker to his opposition to say that this is my season, I'm going to dominate and I'm going to start straight away, was Michael Schumacher. Yeah. I think he yeah. was so dominant in Australia, especially in the Ferrari glory years. He was able to go out there, dominate the field and literally say to everyone, I'm the man. I'm the one with, well, the, with the big car. I'm the one that you've got to beat, and you're not going to beat me. But well, this is what Lewis needs to do this season because you know I, do, I don't know if you've um, if anyone has seen it documented on the news and stuff. But this is a season where he could break multiple records that have been set. He, he, he could become on paper the best Formula One driver of all time. Mm. So you'd think this does need to be the season where he ad- adopts the attitude that Adam just mentioned that Schumacher had. Yeah, I mean, as good as Lewis is, there is certainly an aura about him that makes him seem unbeatable. But over the years, we've always talked, and other drivers have always talked about Lewis as if he's not perfect in the same way that Schumacher was in that regard. There was always, and perhaps this is down to the mindset of the driver, perhaps Lewis Hamilton, as great as he is, and this is in no way a detriment to his abilities as a race driver. This is more about how his rivals see him in that Lewis is seen as a very happy-go-lucky guy, you know, very laid-back, very supportive of people and causes and very open, and perhaps social media's played its part in this, where it didn't happen so much when Schumacher was at the top. But there's always seems to be this vulnerability or something in his 
perhaps a potential chink in the armour that could be I think be the 2016 blunted. season, I think that's what a lot of other drivers are probably referring to. Yeah, and I think that season in particular, Rosberg, what was so brilliant about what Nico did is that the season ended in 2015 where Rosberg was dominant. And people always say with Lewis, he doesn't finish the season strong. Once the championship's wrapped up, it's almost as if like he's on autopilot or second gear. And Rosberg started that season really strong with a hat-trick of wins and it just set the tone for the rest of the season, even though we can argue about what would have happened if Lewis didn't suffer engine problems yeah. or a lot towards the end of the season. But that, but because, a lot of, you know, I think, you know, like race starts and stuff like that in 2016, that was where Rosberg had the mental edge. And, you know, of course he benefited from racing with him for years in the past. But it is, you've got to remember that with, with Lewis, and I think that's why he has a connection with such a big fan base that he is he's emotive. Mm. And I think, you know, that aspect of his character can every now and again be a detriment to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost as if the, if you're going to beat Lewis, you have to be perfect. Yeah. Which, very easily said and done. And I don't really... I think there's probably one or two drivers in the field that can go to that level, but it's a case of can they manage it consistently? So far, no one's really done that. Regardless of how good that Mercedes has been, especially in Lewis's hands, no one has really done that since Rosberg, that one season. I think in Schumacher, not to go too much on the comparisons, there was always that sense of, uh, you know, he was impervious to being beaten by the other drivers. Almost seemed like it was impossible to beat Michael in the Ferrari when it was so strong. It was a case of everyone was competing for who was the next best, which more often than not ended up being his teammate because of how dominant the Ferrari was in that era. Obviously, we're in a new era now, the Mercedes, arguably the most dominant team at entity. There are, there, are, there are a lot of similarities between Barrichello and Bottas. Yeah, I'd still, I'd still say there was more about Rubens. Maybe this is a nostalgia thing for me, but yeah. Rubens, being Michael Schumacher's teammate, was always going to be second fiddle to Michael in the way that, perhaps not so much at Mercedes, but in other teams, perhaps where you'd be second fiddle to a lead driver. But there was something about that Michael Schumacher-Ferrari partnership that I don't think has been really recaptured despite the success of Hamilton at Mercedes. But there's always that talk that Lewis does seem beatable. The difference is, though, maybe that's true. But I don't see there's anybody there that can that suggest otherwise? Absolutely, yeah. I can't see anyone out there really at the moment that has been able to do that or look like they could. We all counted on Seb Vettel and Ferrari thinking that that was going to be it and perhaps it should have been in 2018. But if anything, but no. if anything do you feel that his experiences in 2016 brought out maybe a Lewis Hamilton 2.0 because there was this threat from Vettel and Ferrari and if anything, it gave him it gave him more reason to perform better. Yeah, I would say that that's a very good point. Mm. Um, Lewis, in the past, there's always been that vulnerability about him as I've mentioned quite a lot already, but... The last couple of years, even when Lewis has not been driving at his best, he's always been able to find ways to be top of the championship and winning races and finishing really well. And then when he really gets into top gear, he's almost uncatchable. I I cast your mind back to the 2018 Singapore Grand Prix in qualifying. Ferrari looked very strong. Um, They looked like they were going to be on the front row. Sebastian Vettel was going to regain his... You know, momentum in the championship and Lewis Hamilton produced arguably one of the greatest qualifying laps I think I've ever seen in my life 
in a car that, sh- that Mercedes writ off that weekend. Because they usually struggle in Singapore. They, yeah, they, I mean, they used to, not so much anymore, yeah. even though Ferrari did win last year. Um, Mercedes, that, that wasn't a track that suited the long wheelbase of their car. And Hamilton just found that something special that very few drivers in the history of sport were capable. I mean, Schumacher had it to a degree. Senna had it, definitely. Lewis has it, of course. Our, the greatest qualifier of them all, I would say, in Lewis. I think the stats themselves. There you go, yeah. The volumes on mm-hmm. that. It, it's moments like that that people think of and talk about that put Lewis up there with those drivers like Schumacher and Senna. That's where he belongs now. There's no debate. I don't, I don't think he'll be appreciated, particularly by the British public, until he retires. Yeah, and I think we can talk about... We're going to talk about this in a later podcast, yeah. the comparisons particularly to Schumacher, as this is such a big year for Hamilton. That's why we're kind of going off on a tangent again. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so do we feel there's any other challenge in this race? I mean, I- I've mentioned Red Bull. I've mentioned Max Verstappen. I feel yeah. that this is a track there where the Red Bulls look very impressive in testing. Max has looked very quick. They're very quietly confident, buoyant in some regards. There's wet qualifying as well, I forgot the word. There's a potential There wet is the potential. We haven't had a wet qualifying in a while in Australia. No. Since the uh, Daniel Ricciardo and the Red Bull nearly getting pole, and then Lewis crossing the line ten seconds later, so that could mix and I things think a hundred thousand Aussies collectively sighing at the thought of seeing the Englishman just after the Ashes taking pole position in the home patch. But yes, a wet Australian Grand Prix would be a very interesting watch. I'm still quietly confident that Red Bull and Max Verstappen could shock, bring up a surprise. And win the Australian and, Grand Prix. But the other thing to bear in mind is we don't know what this new um, steering system Mercedes have. We do not know what that. that yeah, you know that kind of bring. went off the radar a little yeah. bit after it was introduced and everyone was talking about it. I'm guessing Mercedes perhaps still haven't got on top of how they mm. want to incorporate it. I mean, Ferrari did mention they didn't really see many tangible benefits when they tried their own system. Um, we don't know if that's down to the way Ferrari made theirs or if it really worked with their car. Mercedes, on the other hand, who knows? Maybe they put it to one side. They saw what they needed that's to see. That's what I love did. about this, though. There are so many unknowns. Absolutely. There are so many unknowns. Even Racing Point. Racing Point, that's another question. Yes, yes. What about Racing Point? Before we go on to our other predictions, yeah, Racing Point. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. I, I'm wrong. But I hope so, but I, I don't know. I think Max is in the red He's the main guy, yeah. He's the main challenge. Okay, so... I'm going to do just uh, two more questions. So this question is from the Nautics underscore 26. And he asks, first crash and first DNF of the season. Wow, that's a good question. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I thought we could. could. I mean, we can't. We, I can't say crashed or Maldonado. Although if he was in the field. Okay, I have my answer. It would be between the two Haas drivers. Oh, who do you think? Which one? Yeah, there we go. So... I reckon it'll be Magnussen going into Grosjean. And who do you think would be do not finish, or do you think both of them might be taken out? I reckon it could be both. Oh, I'm going to be very unpopular. Yeah. And I remember what happened last season. Actually, no, I, I'm not going to be unpopular in this regard because I was thinking about Daniel Ricciardo when he lost his front oh, wing and started yeah, drove over that bump. Yeah. But they flattened that area right now. They've made it like rubbery ash. I bet they have. Yeah, yeah, they have. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say Lance Stroll. I think someone's going to tag him into turn one. It's going to send him spinning in so the racing point. I'll get that pink Mercedes. Yeah. Hatred. Yeah. <laughs> Just take it out. Yeah. That's the best way to stop him. Um, so the last question, this one's from James underscore Ferrari fan. And he asks, 
A very interesting question, actually. So I'm going to ask you this one, Courtney. Mm-hmm. He says, who do you think Ferrari have prioritised this season in terms of the way the car's designed for the championship? And do you also feel that if the other driver performs better by the time we get to Spain, will Ferrari change their priorities to back them for the rest of the season? Well, I've seen rumours online, obviously, online speculation, that the car's been built to suit Vettel better. I've seen that. Um, but I, I wouldn't be fully surprised to see them favour Leclerc to start with because the momentum was with Leclerc, particularly you know the second half of the season and... After Monza, after after seeing him, you know, he was the hero, wasn't he, at Monza? And after mm. seeing that, I thought, it's going to take a lot for Vettel to come back from this. So Vettel needs to start strong. And you're right, if it comes to Spain, I think they will probably stick. If, if Leclerc starts strong, I think they'll stick with Leclerc. I just feel, you know, he's younger, he's got more potential. Vettel's kind of slumped, shall we say, the past few seasons. I feel they will probably start off 50-50, despite the speculation. But I just feel, I reckon there could be a few people at Ferrari that are sort of low-key hoping that Leclerc starts better. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on that is, given what Leclerc said, that the car is very flexible in terms of setup and it's got a wide variety. Yeah. Ferrari have obviously tried to build a car that works for both of their drivers rather than just one. They prioritised Seb early on in the championship and as that faded away, uh, Leclerc was obviously doing very, very well when he got used to the car. Of course, Vettel was not bad, but he just a lot of poor races in certain areas of the season which really let him down. So I'm going to say I think it's a very even and as the season goes on, we'll see how that works out, but it's probably early to say. So... Many other points that we could talk to for this, but obviously we do realise we're a bit pressed for time. So I think we're going to move on to the last part, our inter-team predictions for the season, Courtney. So we asked, who finishes higher in 2020? Now, Courtney, if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask you first. I'm, I'm, I'm all ready for you, mate. Oh, you're ready I'm for ready. me, yeah? Okay, yeah. so I'm going to run off the teams. you only got to say your name, who you think is going to finish higher at the Short tournament. Short but sweet, yeah? Short but sweet. So Mercedes? Hamilton. Ferrari? Leclerc. Red Bull, Verstappen, McLaren, Sainz, Renault, Ricciardo, AlphaTauri, Gasly, Racing Point, Perez, Alfa Romeo, Raikkonen, Haas, Magnussen, Aquafresh Car, and good old Russell. <laughs> I thought I might catch you out there. Wait, have you literally copied my one? Well, I said to you, we discussed this earlier on, we'd come up with the same answers. Oh, for goodness sake. Well, we'd come up yeah, with the same okay. answers. So, just to recap, ladies and gentlemen, so Mercedes... <laughs> Me and Courtney have gone for the same here, so I'm just going to read. And this, this isn't so. this isn't fixed at all. No, no, we literally sent this to each other. I remembered now. Oh, yeah. I forgot about it. So yeah, Mercedes. If you haven't that, so I have a screenshot here. So Mercedes, we've both got Hamilton down. We've both got Leclerc to win it for us. So yeah. so Ad, Ad, Adam's response was a rude word beginning with B, and let's see if you can guess it. Matt <laughs> <laughs> people are probably going to say one word. It's probably not that. Free. Hold on, that's not how it's spelled. <laughs> silence. He, he silence knows. Is, like... is that a bad word? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Because I'm, I'm worried now. I don't want to put that well, out. Well, mate, well, mate, well, mate, maybe you should, um, you know, maybe do your research on words before sending them to me. Because I will, I will like expose well, I you. Think, I wouldn't think you put them on here. <laughs> oh come on, mate! You know what? Fifteen years now, you should know better. I'm not including that. <laughs> but so, we have. We come up with the same answers, don't we? There was there was no tracing point going on here. Yeah, no. no so the story, the story was, I was waiting for my train, and Adam sent me. 
Let, let me let me find it. It went, when you have five minutes, let me know your predictions this season between the teams and add them to the YouTube video for the podcast tonight. So I got back, I sent in my answers, and then he said the um, possible expletive, and he went, you literally picked the same as me. So there we have it. All right, great. Okay. Well, yeah, so that's our predictions on there. Let us know what you guys think for the season, who you think is going to come out on top between the drivers. So... Yeah, I think that's a great way for us to round off this episode. Good um, I think we've just been over an hour, so we're not too bad on time. We managed <laughs> to stick to it despite going off on a tangent over and over again. Um, so yeah, it, it's looking really, really good for the season ahead. I'm really looking forward to the Australian Grand Prix. Let us know, guys, your predictions, who you think is going to win in the comments section. Do follow us on Instagram. Uh, we are DNF1 underscore podcast. Twitter, the same good. hand. I'm practicing now. Twitter's the same handle, DNF1 underscore podcast, and also on YouTube as well, DNF1 hash podcast, and also follow us. We are on all podcasting platforms, major ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Alexa TuneIn, amongst others. Do have a very good week, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the Grand Prix, stay safe, and we will see see you you on the next one. See you later. Podcast Network.